Welcome to the Theory of DFS podcast. I'm Jordan Cooper, the co-author of the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. It's a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass you can find at theoryofdfs.com. Join with me for a special episode. This guy's making the rounds, making the rounds around the DFS scene. You may have seen him on DraftKings or FanDuel, possibly winning the Millie Maker, possibly uh, being the DraftKings... Uh, Live final winner in 2017 for football, as well as the NBA streets. It's uh, chess is okay. James Gedinger, uh, who is uh, claims you claim to be retired, but I see that you, you are playing a little on FanDuel. I'm retired. You're retired? I see. I see the 10th results on your Rotor Grinders profile. What? What kind of on my Rotor? Seriously? Yeah. October 10th, 2021. Uh oh. Uh oh. So are you not retired or are you retired? Um, I think I'm playing a little bit on FanDuel as currently, but um, retired. retired as I'm a, hoping... Retired as a professional, as a as a, a income generator, more than playing casually. I'm hoping to have one of those situations where you're retired and you have a million dollar year because you announce your retirement. You get that run good. So that's what... Uh, <laughs> I'm going to drastically reduce my volume and hope to have great results still. So, and um, and that did, and that's the main reason why. You know, I mean, you played predominantly through. I mean, 2015, 2020 range. Uh, you know, made a lot of money, I guess. And moving on to bigger and better things, uh, as as uh, showcased on the recent episode of Lowell's, like. You, you, you think the ceiling of playing DFS is limited, but it's all it's all in relation to what 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 your goals are as as, as a person uh, making money. I'm 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 the I know you come from a poker background. I'm more of the Joey Kanish type of like I got, I got the van if you if you ever need a job. Right. You know, but uh, like if I if I can make 50 to 75 thousand dollars a year with, you know, limited risk of ruin. Like I live in Louisville and I'm 42 years old. I'm perfectly fine. I'm perfectly fine with that. If I, if this is what I do for a living and don't have to go to get a real job, I'm fine with it. But you're, you're more into like some uh, more uh, investing and, and higher ceiling activities uh, than, than I am. So that's the main reason why, you know, that you're, you've, you've now put up your coaching service on metify.gg uh, for, for 500 bucks an hour. That, for some people, uh, some people may think five hundred dollars an hour is uh, expensive, and some people may think it's extremely cheap. Yeah, I, I think it's very cheap for what one can get out of that. But um, I don't think there's anything wrong with your approach. I mean, it's just a matter of how much of it is like if DFS is a good thing in your life. Um, if because if you're making fifty to hundred k a year, let's say, uh, it's a question of like at what cost that comes, um, whether or not like what kind of time commitment that requires and if it's something you love to do or if it's something you're waking up on Sunday and dreading it. Um, oh, did, did, do you end, did you end up getting to the point where you woke up on Sunday and dreaded it? No, I did in poker, um, especially because I played GPPs and or the, I guess you call them MTTs in poker. But, right. <laughs> um, right, you don't play GPPs in poker. Sundays, GP or MTT Sundays were were very grueling. 
Um, and by the, by the, I was very much ready to, ready to call it in poker when DFS came along. So, but you, uh, but you were late, you were pretty late to poker in comparison to me. Like I'm, I'm old. I'm, I'm, I don't, it's kind of weird to say that I'm old school poker. I'm, I'm early two thousands boom poker. I'm two plus two, you know, world series of poker moneymaker effect type of era of poker, uh, where you sign up for party poker and it's just a, it's just. Just it's it's a slot. I mean, you just it's a cash machine. Uh, if you yeah. just play monkey poker, straightforward value bet, everything like that. Uh, but I mostly played live. So to me, wow. Uh, no, I played live in the underground games in New York City. So oh, it, cool. So it's a, a little bit, a little bit more, uh, a little bit more interesting. A le- less uh, solitaire lifestyle and more uh, interesting characters. Obviously, the games are slower, but you're playing against a lot of the same clientele, you know, you're playing in private games and stuff. And, uh, yes, you don't get as many hands, but when you played with someone for eight months and they still make the same mistakes over and over again, it's to me, it's, it's like I said, I'm a more of a blue collar approach. Like, like dude, show up, play for 10 to 12 hours, watch the sports games, you know, hang out with, you know, it's Brooklyn, it's Italian guys, it's Irish guys. You get some businessmen, some college students, and to me, I, I I found that I found that fun. But you're right; it gets to the point where, you know, after I did that for like four or five years, while I was still doing stand up comedy, and I was wasn't yeah. focusing on my stand up, and I'm just like, what's the long term like happiness of of mm-hmm. po- like what do you what am I producing for the world? And I saw that's like I, I I'll I'd rather just. Let me do stand up, and then of course DFS came around, and I just get sucked right back into the the non productive for the world type of activities. It's, it is is that is that more similar to like I don't consider that burnout, but more of a, like you reprioritize your life. Yeah, yeah, I think I mean I don't think I can could go on at DFS at the pace I was going to be honest as well like I wasn't dreading it I really enjoyed playing DFS but it, it's just too much um it's too much of an effort well what, what was what was what I was guess. the biggest parts of your process that were too much because I know on lols you talked about you know 80 hours a week mm-hmm. and I don't I don't know about about maybe you're doing something differently than me like I'm, I'm the, I'm the complete opposite mentality of like, I don't need to be the best. I just need to be better than most of the field. So like, I don't need to be precise. Like my goal yeah. is never to be precise. It's to be as more directionally accurate than, than the field. So like my process, like, dude, like most, most of my day involves either doing shows or, or watching TV. I mean, I'm just on the, you're bullshitting on Twitter or something, because I'm not making my own projections, but yeah. I'm devising my own strategies. But it, for the most part, especially you know, in NBA, uh, most of the time until six thirty, like who the fuck knows what's going? I mean, what? No one knows what's going on until late anyway. So I feel no need to spend the time. While you could be more precise, spending more time. I just I found at least that the edge that you gained from the extra time, just it was diminishing returns that I'm much better off like an hour before the slate going, okay, what's going on? Who's injured? Who's what, whatever. What's my late swap possibilities. Let me run some lineups, run this, run that. And boom, bing, bang, yeah. throw in my lineups. And then obviously sit around the computer all night 
uh, late swapping because who knows if Kawhi's going to play, you know, that type of stuff. So I can understand being burnt out a little on the on the late swap stuff for NBA, but but you you had a, a bottom up approach where you 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 originated like everything that you were doing. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, I was definitely not a boom bing bang kind of guy in DFS. I mean, uh, I really sought to understand all of the situations uh, as well as I could. And that just took time. Um, and I am a little bit of a perfectionist. And so, like, I mean, I probably could have been a little more efficient. Um, but overall, I think it's tough. I think that what you're talking about, I mean, you can succeed in, in the low stakes and you can succeed in kind of the mag order of magnitude you're talking about. I think it's going to get harder and harder. Um, but... I think overall that if you're to get like great results in DFS, you really need to have like a full-time professional attitude. And that's going to need to have like a, a systematized way you're studying and a systematized way that you're like doing the same thing every day to make sure, ensure that you're making the best rosters you can. Um, well, I mean, and... I have those systems. It's just, it doesn't take that long. <laughs> I mean, to me, it just, I, I mean, one of the things that I, how I got better in DFS is primarily through studying other players. Yeah. So, like, chess is okay. I mean, let's take a... I mean, I downloaded the CSVs this is even before stuff like Results DB or Lineup Rewind. So I would just download the CSVs. I played soccer primarily in the first, like, two years of my DFS career. Mm -hmm. So it's obviously a much smaller community, you know, learned how to play that, and then it branched out to other sports. But still getting into MLB, getting into NBA, NFL, just like, let me go to the Roto-Grinders rankings. Who's, who's doing well? Uh, let me download their lineups and and put it into Excel and run and what types of lineups? Let me take a look at the projections versus the ownership versus it's like, oh, okay. I mean, that's where you learn the first, I mean, the basic stuff in the very beginning of like, oh, uh, that's why you play five batters from the same team. Oh, that's why you play three guys from the same power play line. Oh, uh, you know, yeah. like those, like the very basic type of, uh, you know, correlation. Oh, you play a quarterback and the two wide receivers. Oh, you know, I mean that. Well, I, I came up with these, so I had <laughs> no one to study. Well, yeah, back, um, back, back, back when you started that a lot, a lot of the stuff that's available now. And even, I'm not even talking about like, like, like content sites, like Roto Grinders, Awesome O, ETR, mm -hmm. Daily Roto, things like that. Uh, but just the, the access even like, hey, it's 2021. You still can't download the CSVs on FanDuel. I mean, yeah. but just just the ability to uh, just when the contest starts, download stuff from DraftKings, run it through whatever process you run it through. I mean, a lot of times now I could run through stuff and like halfway through the slate go like who has the best EV, you know, yeah. in the in who's currently like I may be out of it, but I'm just like I'm interested, and especially in MMA slates where it's very binary. I know you don't play mm -hmm. MMA. But since it's one fight to the next fight to the next fight, it's very easy to see after each fight, like, what what are the EV of all these lineups in the contest now based on, you know, the projections that I have or the yeah. odd betting lines and stuff like that. But that access, when I started playing in 2015, like, like really, really wasn't, really wasn't there. I mean, like, you, you, you had to figure it out on your own. And even mm -hmm. if you did download or scrape data, like there was no one talking about like there were there were no 
podcasts. There were no, like, no, no, people were still at the level of, like, what's a good play, right, Mm -hmm. type of level that you had to, I mean, if you had to go look at, you know, NBA and go, what are they doing that I'm not? While more now, like, like, especially, like, on this podcast, like, I discuss all the strategy, I mean, like, like it's it a lot of the stuff that you were doing probably in 2017 in 2021 is almost amongst the the profitable players is uh common, common. yeah uh, well i think that's right um i remember in like 2016 2017 a lot of the content was focused around like who's a lock <laughs> was like i just remember like i would listen to podcasts and keep keep track of like how many, who, who were the locks basically. Um, and I think you hear that probably less and less. I think you know better than I, um, but that was like, I don't know. You would just have like people played like, I don't know. I think people were like very consensus seeking back then. Like basically cash lineups were very heavily owned, um, particularly at the high stakes and, um, things you just don't really see like it ownership in in NFL really is evened out at quarterback and wide receiver and defense. And back in the day, it could be like very polarized. Um, I I remember like the sorts of tweets that were like, if you don't play this defense in every lineup, you're a fish. Right. When defense is so varied, you should never do that. Right. Um, well, now it's the opposite. Well, well, uh, James, now it's the opposite. Now it's more of the, you know, oh, the Washington football team is going to be the cheap defense. It's like you're a fish if you play them at 22% ownership in any lineup because why the yeah. hell? Would, why would play the Texans for 100 cheaper that at 2% ownership because defense is so like, dude, the projections are, you know, within one point of each other. So, like, F, but F back the then, field. but back then it wasn't like that. Well, I think the field went from like almost exclusively hand built to uh, pretty heavily optimized. And so like that had its effects on ownership. And the kind of thing you're talking about is like it's also predictable, but it's just a matter of like people are using like the average player is now more likely to be using tools, more likely to be optimizing. So I think just being like aware of uh, how that affects things because yeah, back in the day, like people would just literally like lock in by hand. Uh, and you'd think about ownership in terms of like, who's the first person people are locking into their roster tonight, you know? Um, and now it's a little bit more of like, who's popping on daily Roto or whatever, or the sources you talked about. It's like, um, I think the field's changed. I mean, it's, it's not good. I mean, it, it makes the game harder, but it's also just beatable. It's like you just have to adjust a little bit. Right, but even back then, like the good plays, like for instance in NBA in 2017, any, anyone that's, that, that was talked about as a lock for the most part, if you ran, if you did, even did your own projections, they would be, they would be the better projected plays. Now, would, would, would they be worth playing in 100% of your lineups? Probably not. But I, I think the field, uh, I mean, if we go back to 2012, which I didn't play in, I mean, that, those were the, that was the Wild West of, like, didn't even have, like, like minutes projections. Or, I mean, it's just, like, mm-hmm. that people were playing players that were injured type of stuff. But in 2015, 2016, like, this, you know, so-and-so is out. 
And obviously the guy that normally would see 23 minutes at point guard is now going to get 38 minutes at point guard. And he's 3,800. Like, and he's 20% owned back then. Right. No, well, back in 2012, he's 20% owned. But back in 2015, 2016, he'd still be 60% owned, which is still uh, probably under owned. still probably under owned. But it's not like the content. It's not like it's you have to figure that even back then in 2016, 2017, that the good plays like the field, the field for the most part was able to identify like inefficiently salary priced players that were egregiously someone that someone that's 4,800 that on this slate should be 7,000. They may not be 89% owned. Maybe they'll be 72% owned. I mean, maybe not as I owned as they should be, but it's not like the type of thing where this guy's the best play. And it's like, dude, like, like he's like, nothing special. Why is this guy 40% owned for no reason? It's like, well, they're a thousand under pro. Like, like, I think, I think the average, the average sharper play, it's kind of weird. Like the more regular player, even back then we're able to see like the screaming values, but it's like after those screaming values, Mm -hmm. it was like ownership could go like there's a now, Oh, it's a home game narrative. It's a birthday thing. It's, Something that has nothing to do. They have a great matchup with the. It's a, a the defender. It's oh, he's getting Jimmy Butler defense like those type of like bullshit things that would never show in an accurate projection model. Uh, so that's more of what you're talking about. But like the screaming value plays were the screaming value plays, regardless. You know, even even from the content that you were listening to. Yeah, I. I forget what year did they they added a CSV upload to the sites because I think that that made a big difference because I remember like when I was doing things by hand and before we had CSV upload like the kind of guy you were talking about would be very low owned still and I, I remember I don't remember the years exactly but I still remember in 2016 2017 having like pretty drastically different opinions from the field um even 2018 2019 2020 it felt more and more like nba projections would be pretty bad to start the day and by the time lock came around and people had enough time to think about it a lot of the times the sites would start coming to a lot of the same conclusions i did which was not a good feeling um that's the reason why you retire cuz but but don't don't you figure that out of all the sports, NBA is the most likely one to be efficient like that because it's not event based. What do you mean? Like, I mean, how how off could uh, no matter what methodology you use for projections, like even even I know the simplistic way is the fantasy points per minute, which is not the right way to do it, and just like Her based possession. on the players on the court, based on historical mm-hmm. data, when this when in this configuration. Like, he's going to be playing 18 minutes with these guys on the court. He's 1.12 fantasy points per minute. Like, you're not computing assist rate, or you're not, like, breaking it out. You're just doing it purely mm-hmm. FPPM. Like, that's not the right way to do it, but directionally accurate. As long as you get the minutes. Like, you didn't see people like, oh, this guy's going to play 34 minutes, and you're like, no, he's playing 23. Like, like at that point, like... The difference between two minutes here and there may drastically alter whether or not you have 8% of a guy or 32% of a guy. So I can understand in that range, but it, I don't, I, I couldn't see, unless you tell me otherwise, 
where, you know, even around the industry, you know, everyone has them somewhere between 25 and 27 minutes and you have them at 32 minutes. Like, did that, was that oh, happening? No, that happens quite a bit, actually. Really? It does? Yeah. Um, I think that MBA is a spot where you have a really high opportunity to have a projection advantage, which is not true in other sports like in MLB and, um, well, I don't play MLB much, so I won't talk about MLB, but in NFL, I think it's a little harder. Um, but that's primarily due to the variance of the sport. It has nothing to do with, the, I mean, just in, in basketball, I mean, in, in football, you could get a lucky touch. I mean, someone could score 15 minute, 15 points on one passing play. And like, yeah. just it's just the range. The me, Like, I understand the medians, because it's a wider range of outcomes. In basketball, the range of outcomes is, like, it's very rare for, like, a 30% Uches player to play 38 minutes and score 12 points. I mean, like, it just, like, it's it's just not going to happen. <laughs> Like that. I think it. I think in NFL there are times when you could have a pretty different opinion on the field in terms of like pass attempts or rush attempts or receptions, uh, and that can move the needle a great deal. Um, but I guess what I'm trying to say is it's it's not really reasonable in my opinion to have like it's not a great edge if your edge is like. I'm at 0.3 touchdowns on this guy, but the field's at 0.25. I don't know if that's so reasonable. Um, but how does that translate but, to basketball? I mean, what's the difference between having a 27-minute projection and a 29-minute projection? Like, uh, the, uh, the, the, the players that are more likely to have the wider minutes projections would be, like, the bench players, the, you know, the centers, like, those types. I mean, how, how – how do you, how do you get LeBron's minutes wrong? I mean, like how 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 are you off by ten minutes on him? Like of the star I think players, it's easy. I think it's I think I think it's it, it's done. I think that um, I think it I think for NBA you can have a drastically different opinion from the field that's like material and accurate, and in NFL like the difference between five and five and a half receptions is just never as clear. If that makes sense, um, I think some of it has to do with the fact that you're dealing with like smaller numbers where um, I guess whether a player gets like four or five targets is. Uh, the difference in and, one target doesn't make it as much of a difference as a difference in 10 minutes on the court. Yeah. But wh when would um, be the situations where you have a 10 minute different minute project? I mean, that that's what I'm trying to understand of like, are you just, are you, you're going in, is it the type of thing where you where everyone's going in thinking they're playing big? I'm using very general examples of like they're going in. You see the starting lineup, and you go, "Well, it, it, this this is what the rotation's going to be." And then your attitude is is like, "No, they're going to be playing small for most of this game. So they're going to be playing three guard formation. So this guy that that you have projected for 21 minutes is really going to be playing 29, and the power forward that you think is going to play 29 minutes is actually going to be playing 21." All right? I mean, I'm just trying to find. The, the 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 pragmatic example the like give me a, a real world example of how you could be you know eight to ten minutes off versus the field um <laughs> so well, this is not a, you don't have to give a specific for a team just like how i'm i gave the example i mean we've seen plenty of times with the raptors it's chris boucher season and everyone thinks he's playing 25 minutes and he ends up playing eight minutes i mean like yeah but, but the thing is, is that I act as if I don't know. So like mm -hmm. my, my 
game theory method of playing is I'm going to do, I'm going to consider that probability, know it's high variance, has a wide range mm-hmm. of outcomes, and if the field goes too much in one direction, I just play the other direct. I just play the, I don't have to gauge whether or not it's going to be right. But if if he's going to be 32% owned on a 12-game slate because he's 4,800 and everyone thinks he's going to play 30 minutes, and I know that there's a possibility he just plays 12, like, I'm not going to have much of him. But if he's only going to be 3% on because everyone thinks he's going to play 12 and maybe he plays 30, I'm going to play more of him. But in that example, yeah. like, I don't need to project that. I just need to be aware that this is a player that has a, uh, his standard deviation is really high and I'm just going to be mm-hmm. anti-market. You're doing, you're, yeah. you're trying to actually predict, you're putting in the minutes yourself. I'm not doing that. So I'm giving you, I'm, I gave another example, that Chris Boucher example. So, like, I'm trying to get out of you, what would be an example like that? Would would that be accurate? Would an example like I gave be one where you could be 10 minutes off projecting certain players compared to the field? Yeah, I think what you're t- describing is something that more often comes up in NFL. I think that's like an often, like a frequent thought process in NFL. Um, I think that what you're saying is fair um, depending on the coach who the coach is and how the coach behave and the coaching psychology. I think you uh, have more of a read on what happens on average in NBA than you do in other sports. Um, but would it be that example of like, Oh, this, this coach is more likely to do X, which means this player is going to play more than this other player, even though the field doesn't realize that. If there's a situation where everyone thinks it's Boucher because uh, it just happens to have been him the last couple of nights, but in reality there are three or four players who could play that role or play that position, then yes, I I would have a a projection that's like 10 points lower than the field potentially. Okay, so Um, it's those types of examples. I mean, I'm just – you don't have to give me a specific – I'm not trying – I'm just not pulling teeth. One, I mean, you could give an example are, from five years ago with the, you could give I an example of like Dominic uh, Wilkins on the Hawks from 1988. Like you don't have to give away something that you know about a specific team currently. I'm just saying that type of thing where you could look at, a, at projections around role. the industry and be vastly off on the minutes, at least. Chipotle addict. And I think it was the 2015 or 2016 NBA live final. I think Anthony Davis was announced out. Um, and everyone played Dante Cunningham, I think, and he played Solomon Hill. And that's kind of like a situation you're talking about. Right. And Solomon Hill went for like 40 or something, but just because like the last couple of times that Anthony Davis was out, Dante Cunningham got the minutes. Um, but honestly, it's not that clear who it's going to be on a night to night basis. So right. like if you're, if you're projecting that, well, maybe you go like 60, maybe you're thinking it's like 60, 40, one guy or the other, that distribution is, it's like, you're, you're talking about distributions that are, um, a little abnormal for NBA for these players. They're, they're going to have like bimodal distributions or, mm-hmm. uh, pretty heavily neg- negatively correlated or it de- depends on the situation. Um, but but yeah, but it's very similar. I mean, we see, we see this in NBA. Car- I mean, what what ends up happening? Like you're giving the exact examples I'm talking about. Of uh, you see it sometimes at 4:30, some guy gets ruled out, and it's like, oh, like this guy's especially like at the point guard position or something. 
And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, Jeff Teague, I'm just making up a name. It could be anyone. Is going to step in and, st- oh, we're expecting Teague to start and and we're going to project him to start and close and play 34 minutes. And then what ends up happening is that it's 645 and the starting lineups are announced and Teague isn't in the starting lineup. It's someone yeah. else. Like, and, a lot of people some- overreact and go, well, it's not necessarily, like, sometimes the guy that comes in off the bench is the one that closes. So, like, we get a lot of these this this overreaction of like, is it, if this guy's not starting, uh, then he's then he's not going to play X amount of minutes. It's like no, he actually could play twenty eight minutes off the bench, and in fact, because he's playing more of his minutes uh, without some of the star players, he's going to have higher usage. So like, but you have to but you have to gauge. Hey, sometimes the guy doesn't start, and he literally only plays eight minutes. I mean, sometimes. The overreaction is correct, but like like I said, how I treat that, unlike you, you're, uh, I think in sports betting, you'd be considered an originator, and I'd be considered a steam chaser. Like I don't need okay. to, I don't need to make the you're you're trying to make the line, and me, I'm just trying to leverage the market. So like as long mm-hmm. as I know that those situations exist. Which means you need to know something about NBA. I need I can't just look at numbers and go, well, they're gonna project him for twenty eight minutes, I'm gonna act like it. I'm gonna go, no, well, this could be Peyton Pritchard time. They Peyton Pritchard at twelve minutes and Jeff Teague at twenty eight. It could be the other way. And based on the if I see Teague is thirty six percent owned and Pritchard's four percent owned, like I'm much more likely to say maybe the I'm gonna make more money when the field is incorrect than when the field is. But if they're like even What's that efficient line? If it ends up being Teague is 26% and Pritchard's 16, then it's like, well, it doesn't really matter which one I like. Like now they're at like efficient levels. So like how I view DFS is more through that lens. And you, you deal, you, you, it almost seems like you play, you play more uh, where what the field is going to do is less important to you. And you just want to be the, you, you, you want to be precise. No, I wouldn't. I would not say. That Why would you that. say that? <laughs> um, I think that all of these things are factors that play into how you play, and I think that the best spots, particularly in NBA, are not only when the field's taking a certain line, but you have a material reason to believe that it's a, that it's incorrect. Um, I think there are a lot of spots in NBA where a guy is very heavily owned and it's just going to play out that way like a large percentage of the time or there's not a lot to be gained by fading them if that makes sense but yeah it's, um, it's those $3,800 guys that should be 72 I mean it's one of those the guy the guy has a 10x median on his salary yeah and he's just like it was, a lot of people I'll, I'll play a different $3,800 guys like no if if you're gonna fade him that means you just don't play a lineup that has a $3,800 player in it and you just hold yeah, and there are there are times when the field will arbitrarily, and I'm sure this happened, this still happens, and and it happens a lot, where the field will kind of arbitrarily uh, gravitate to one guy who's who's 3800, who's he's the one who's in all of the top 150 on Daily Roto or on any of the sites that you talked about, but in reality there are like seven, eight, or nine guys who could beat him. Um, and I think that does come up in NBA, but in the times where like, um, Mike Conley's out and Mario Chalmers is stepping into his role and 
like Mario Chalmers is min salary and he's likely to play 30 minutes in like a conservative case. I mean, those, those spots, you just jam it's kind of, you just jam it's kind of, those are jamming in spots. I mean, it's asymptotic as he approaches a hundred percent ownership, but I, I mean, it's in the low stakes, you'd never consider fading him. I think in a live final where people, he might be in like 95%, it, it could make some sense. Um, or some kind of situation, some kind of like extreme situations. Um, it's fun the way people play live finals too, because uh, I, I, I think the live finals have gotten tougher, like a lot tougher, especially when they made so many of the entries 5K, uh, but they really used to be a gold mine. Um, and a lot of people were very timid to move away from the chalk and to move away from the best plays. So you'd get really extreme spots, even in NFL. Um, but you see that in high stakes currently. I mean, I on on the on the Monday show uh, that I do on Roto Grinders, as well as on this podcast. I mean, Eric, who the, the normal co-host, like he plays primarily, you know, four figure plus type of contest, game changer, fifteen hundred, the luxury box. I'm more in that spy, you know, power sweep level, as well as you know, one fifteening the slant, right? Like nine dollars slant. Type of love for NFL. And Why for would NBA, you play the slant? What? Why would you play the slant? The slant is the best payout structure. What? What? What do you mean by that? The the first from first to I mean, like the slant this year is thirty thousand a first, twenty thousand a second, ten thousand, eight thousand. I'm glad you brought this up. The best payout structure is the one where the most money is up top. From an, an EV, from an EV perspective, you're absolutely right. But from yeah. uh. Uh, if I don't have $50 million bankroll perspective and I want to make 50000 to $75,000 a year, I'd rather get paid off on my 1% finishes. So, so I, if, I absolutely 100% agree with you because I know from an expect you'd rather, because the field is more likely to not play contrarian enough to get the equity in first place. And when I do play GPPs, I mean, I, I specialize in large field GPPs and my lineups tend to be fucking contrarian as hell. But... Uh, I also don't, I mean, like when, when the Millie maker, I don't play because like, yes, will I live enough lifetimes to realize the EV to make it worth playing the amount of volume that I would need in order to do that? So to me, it's a utility theory type. Not of, with type that of attitude. Person. The answer is not with that attitude. Well, that's my attitude. Um, I'm Joey Kanish. I, that's what I do. I think that, uh, I think maybe you should just play the Millie maker. Um, Why? Well, I mean, do what you think is best for, for you and your situation. But I think that you're going to make the most in the long run on an annual basis. If you um, play top heavier structures, uh, I know it's, I know it's counterintuitive. No, it's um, a, I, I understand exactly what you, James, I, I know exactly what you're saying. I am sacrificing EV for reducing my variance, right? But you realize that this is causing you to take a line that's common with regulars and common with uh, we the common with like fish or weak players aren't thinking the way you're thinking. They're like, oh, I want to win the lottery, and like bad regs are thinking what you're thinking. So you end up playing like a stronger field, and like the slant is just going to be a low, like a much lower ROI. But a, a, low, a ROI that I could realize more than the than the millimaker. I'm not so certain. 
Well, I that 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 that's what I. That's I think we I disagree on this, right? Um, I mean, I also play I a think... ton of cash games. I mean, I play a ton of. I truthfully, I play. I know we're not going to talk about it. Showdown contests. I think the I think single game contests have the biggest edge in all of DFS. Uh, and you don't you don't want to give away anything for that, which is fine. That's perfectly fine. Uh, I I mean, I'm pretty sure I know exactly what it is. So I mean, it's like I don't mind talking about it, but apparently you don't. Uh, um, I think that if I were in your position and I wanted to maximize, uh, what I make and, or I want to realize my returns, as you put it, I would try to play as many slates as I could, um, rather than changing the way I played a particular slate. Like, I think it's really hard to beat DFS. Honestly, I think it's really hard to have an advantage and I think you need to play in a way to maximize your EV um otherwise i think it's just too hard to make those kind of strategic sacrifices in order to try to like i think that if you're going to end up just it's just going to be i think a very expensive way to lower variances i guess where i come down on that so it'd be worthwhile to have bigger swings like it still comes it still comes down to that like my my attitude is is that can i make seventy five thousand dollars a year with the least amount of risk possible so like that and to me that's that's the equation that I'm solving. It may not be to make the most amount of money, which is what you're trying to solve, but at least you could understand from my perspective that if your goal was to make X and make it with as almost zero risk to make X, how would you pursue playing DFS? Like I, I like, would I wouldn't play anything more than like a five dollar buy-in, and I would play every slate. Right, oh, but now as many just... entries as I could at the lowest stakes on any site, every site I could. Well, and you're, you're describing what I did. I mean, you're. I mean, I may not go to the extent of playing every slate, but I mean, like that's why I when Eric's like, I play the fifteen. Like I see how you could exploit the higher stakes because they play too chalky, too duped. Too, you know, the ownership condenses too much, but it's still, I mean, you're still also playing against highly projected line. You're, you're I mean, the variance in those contests is still going to be high, but it's still come the biggest. I mean, you don't listen to the show, but the, the, the overall theme of this show is the, is like kind of like the Jekyll and Hyde, the, the devil and the angel on the shoulder type of thing where Eric is like, uh, you know, these large, these, these small field quote, sharper contests. Like, dude, half the field is playing cash lineups, and I could just do this, and my EV goes up through the roof. Uh, and I I look at it, and I say to him, it's like, dude, I play these low-stakes, large-field stuff. I download the CSV, and I find 20% of the lineups almost have no chance of winning first place, and the rake is 15%. So it's like, yeah. like I, I can't... Uh, yeah, it's harder to win 50,000, 100,000-person field contests. I mean, I have, but... To me, the risk versus I'm getting enough. If the payout structure is flatter, I'm getting more money back when I don't win first. And I'm still getting 20% of the field playing pretty much dead lineups. And then another 20% of the field playing like medium lineups that like I have such an EV edge over. Like why, why aren't I playing as many of those as possible? But keeping the payout structures, not playing the Millie maker, so I don't have to like it's first or nothing. So at least if I put in fifteen hundred dollars worth of entries, like on a on a on a bad day, 
I still get back like a thousand bucks. I mean, like I, I'm only risking five hundred of it. I know you're smiling, but I make more. That that wouldn't be the way Jordan, to make more money. It would be the main way to re- reduce your risk of ruin. Uh, Jordan, I think you're difficult to coach. Um, but I think that I, I see some major flaws in both you and Eric's thought process here. And so what are the flaws? Uh, I think, Tell it. Go. What's the flaws? Well, I'll I'll start with Eric. Well, I've already told you what the flaws in, in your thought process are. And when it comes to Eric, in fact, you get have a lower ROI as you move up in stakes. So obviously, in spite of in spite of what Eric believes he's seeing, or the mistakes that he thinks these rigs are making, they are, uh, as you've pointed out, less in much smaller in magnitude than the average player in the three dollar. And so for your players who are listening and for your listeners who are in your in your shoes and shoes that I was when I when I started playing DFS, like want to make a living, um, want to make 50 to 100K a year, um, I would recommend playing every slate every day um, on FanDuel and DraftKings and betting like $1,000 per slate, uh, which is just like maxing the $3 basically on both sites. And that's, I think, the best way to... to to realize your edge in the long run is giving yourself as many shots as possible. Right. Cause the main, the main thing that, I mean, with, with Eric's approach, I mean, we even had a conversation this past week that I thought he played a lineup that was just so under projected for what he was gaining from it that like you're giving up too much. Yeah, you're right. A lot of these people are playing cash type lineups, but like, like if you're going to play a lineup that's 15 points projected lower than it, I mean, like, like, dude, you're not really, you're not really exploiting. You have to play a lineup that, that is, is five points. I mean, like said something within reason. For if that. Eric actually believed what he was saying, he'd be maxing the high stakes and he'd be like very rich because he'd have like a 20% ROI or more in the high stakes. It's just right, not but true. You still have to it's just, it's just it. it doesn't play, it doesn't play out. It's not even that you have to realize it. Like if you're good at the high stakes and you're winning at 20% and the $500, like you're going to be very rich playing DFS. It just, that's just but, but that's I don't just think the way that, it is. But, I, but you would agree. I don't think that's achievable, though. 20%? Um, I think it states. is achievable. I think it's you have to be the best. Oh, um, obviously you have to be the best. Obviously. <laughs> but, I mean, what um, but, uh, what would be a reason if you were an average – I don't want to say an average player, but, I mean, the same the, thing happens – The average with, player loses. Well, obviously. So. I'm talking about an average profitable. Like, what would be a reasonable – like, people ask me about cash games, and I say, like, at the low – like – even now in 2021, if you're the best cash player, you could beat the low stakes. And I'm talking about one to three dollar stakes at 15 to 18 percent in in any in, in most sports. Now, it may be gotten a little bit hard. I can't play those contests anymore, so I'm not yeah. sure. But I play on FanDuel where I'm not limited yet. And I could tell you that like even at the lowest stakes cash for NBA and NFL, it's extremely soft. So, like, even if you're not as good as I am, maybe you could get a 7% edge. But I'm telling you, once you move up to $5 and above, where no one's restricted, like, your ROI just go, I mean, like, it is is a drastic, you know, if you could get a 3 or 4% return, like, that's, that's, that's good. The best maybe is 7 or 8, but, like... In in cash? In cash. Yeah, double ups, head-to-heads. Yeah, I don't... I don't really know. Um, if I've considered playing cash, it's only been basically high stakes. Um, so I can't I can't really comment on that. Right. I would say too, because I forgot about that, that 
if you have the ability to play the the like quarter arcade and stuff like that, I would max out on all of those earnings before you moved up, basically. Um, and in the year I played the quarter arcade, I think before they started doing that, I'm pretty sure I was up like something absurd. It was like 50 entries. I played it on every slate and I might've been up like 30 to 50 K. <laughs> so like in the quarter. So, I mean, like that's, if, the, if you could play that, that's like in a, that's an amazing opportunity to do, to kind of achieve the things you're talking about. Right. But people, James, people don't believe that. I, I tell them the very same thing. You want to seek the weakest opponents possible. I mean, that the number one thing that I, I mean, I say in the course, the one thing that has, is the most likely to separate, to mean something in your profit is the strength, relative strength between you and your opponents. There's no, yeah. no, there's nothing you could do with projections. There's nothing to do with simulations. Said so you could be, you could be the, 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 it doesn't matter what's up top or like, it doesn't, if it's, if it, if you're in the quarter arcade and it's like $500 up top, I mean, that's, that, that might, that's probably your best spot on the night. Right. But you, but you could build it up from there. I mean, that, mm -hmm. that's what, that's what I, that's I mean, where I, you start. That's where, right, that's where you start. start in the high stakes. Right. Do you know some, how long it took people, me until I entered a $20? Right. Well, some people, James, come to me and go, I've been playing the quarter arcade for six months and I've been doing well. Right. And they're showing a profit and something like that. It's like like but if I were playing in the three dollar play action or the nine dollar slant type of level or the eighteen dollar bat flip or whatever, I'd be making so much more money. And I go, I go, if you're good enough, yes, when you step up, you'll you'll be able to beat those games also. But mm -hmm. there there are plenty of people that say, I've been playing the quarter arcade for a year and I've never won it. Uh, is it worth even playing? Should I just play a, like, dude, if you can't beat the quarter arcade, you think you're going to beat the play action? You think you're going to beat, like, you're playing against yeah, you're the worst line. Like, and there may be good players down there working their way up. So I'm not saying yeah. that everyone that plays the quarter arcade is a fish or something, but that's where, if you can't beat if those it's player fields, excluded, if you're strong, if you're, if you're strong, if it's player excluded, I would expect that you can get like 70% plus ROIs in those games. That high? I don't, I, in GPP, 70% yeah. long run? I mean, maybe in a course of a year. Mm -hmm. Like. Not now, James, I, I don't think now. I, I, the you, in the quarter arcade, if it's excluding players? Yeah. I think at the low stakes, you could probably get like 40 to 50 percent. OK, well, that I would agree with you on that. Like, I think yeah. 35 to 40 dip, dip, in the low stakes. I, I think I think that's I mean, that's when I was playing in the lower stakes. That's what was around my ROI. Mm -hmm. And of course, it, of course, it comes through big wins. Right. Is that is that one thing when you when you coach people? Uh, I find that the, one of the harder things to get across to people. I mean, it, it's in it's in the course of like. Like it's similar to poker, right? It's like one long game of poker. It's not like, like oh, I I, I haven't I haven't cashed in in in, in two weeks. I go one thing that I've noticed actually, cashing, right? Like one thing I've noticed actually in in coaching players is people are pretty eager to take out their big wins when they're talking about their results, um, and that's something that like I'm not sure that you can do. So, well, you're playing for them. Why would you take them out? Yeah, I know. So, people are just like, I'm 5%. I, I won big once, and w without it, I'm like 5%. It's like, that's yeah, right. I know it's high variance, but <laughs> right. yeah. That's, no, that, that, that's break, what you're playing for. 
yes, if you break even between big wins, then you're going to be a huge winner in DFS. Right. And that's that's the goal to a certain extent. Well, that's all, that's the reason why I play cash games. I mean, to me, mm-hmm. I view that as a way to to basically keep my downswings uh, less swingy, right? To flatten them out. Because I still play that's... more. I still, I mean, in, in comparison to my uh, GPP volume, I mean, I still play. If I, if I wanted to make it, you know, it should be 95-5 or something type of mix. But, I, I mean, the main goal of cash games is, like, like dude, at the high stakes, the, the differences between players are is, I'm not going to play for a 2% edge at $50,000 a slate volume. It just, it, it, the variance there is so dramatic that I'm just, I'm not going to play 1v1s versus, you know, uh, the guys up there. I'm, I'm Even if I am having an advantage, it just makes no sense. Right? Doesn't doesn't it does I mean it still comes down to when when you when you coach your players uh, that that you're that you're coaching that are they more are they more likely because you, like you said the fact that that they're asking you if you take out your big wins they don't look to be a profitable player like t- truthfully a smart that's how I, I'm more likely to consider that person to be like thinking sharply. Then someone, because mm-hmm. then, then, uh, I've been playing for six years and I luck boxed, you know, one. And now that you're more likely James to find people that have the attitude of, uh, and we've seen it. And, uh, someone that has won the Millie maker once, uh, doesn't necessarily like, make them me. a good player. Right. As I mean, I like, have. well, I'm, I'm, I'm talking, uh, you've once. done more than you, you've done. I'm not, <laughs> the one point is Kenyon I'm not talking Drake about you. I'm just talking about, to cost me. right. It's, it's not hard for someone out of a group of a million people to win the Millie maker with some negative EV lineup. So Mm -hmm. like that happens all the time. Right. But the reason why, why your students are asking you, well, if I take out my big wins, like I'm not a good player, like, because they don't want, they, because it's the number one thing. Don't, don't you think that the hardest thing in DFS is to figure out whether or not you're playing well or running good? Yes, I think that's very difficult. Um, and I think you, that how do, you, just, how do you judge it? Well, I, I use my own software and I run, run simulations. But when I go on downswings, I mean, self-doubt still totally comes into it. Like, I don't know. I always took downswings very tough. Uh, I've gone on several, like, million-dollar downswings at DFS. And... See, this, this this is the reason why I don't play. I, I play the slant, and I don't play the millie. This is now. See, this this is the type of things where, you know, I would have gone on more if I had played the slant. Really? Why? Um, well, it's just I think in terms of game selection, like the slant's one of the worst games you can add. Only well, um, because you think even, the opponent's strength is too high in comparison for the stakes. Yeah, I, I mean, I think if you look at ownership and stuff like that, it probably plays more like the. Hundred dollar or something. I yeah, mean, I'm plays, not looking it, at it. Week to week, the the week slant to week, plays but... closer to the wildcat than it does to the the millie. Oh, that's the information. That's really what I'm trying to say. Right. Um, no, no, I agree with you. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I agree with you. But you're going to lower your variance in the long run the most by having the highest ROI. That's why I disagree with playing cash to lower variance and some of the other things you're talking about. I think that just having the highest ROI in the long run is going to cause you to have the lowest floor. Um, which is kind of like the question of should you change your standard D or should you change your average case? Um, and I'm saying that like you should change your average case because it's tough to beat DFS. 
I, I, I don't necessarily. I think in practicality, if if you if you not considering ceiling, I if, if you're considering ceiling, I agree with you. But I'm not considering ceiling. Like like I I'm solving for uh, getting back to it for, for that the mathematical example. My my end goal is is a finite number that is achievable through less variant methods. If my let's say let's say James my number was I want to make five hundred thousand dollars a year, then I would agree with you because like I I don't think you could make a half a million a year without without maximizing uh, your 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 first place equity in large top heavy. I understand that, but for fifty to seventy five thousand, like like dude like. I, I could win one large field GPP a year and lose every other slate and I'd I'd be successful. And I, I would reach that X goal. You may disagree that that X goal is too low. But that's that's it's not a matter of it being too low. I just think that you take the same thing you're doing and change your game selection and you make more on average. On average, but I mean my my standard deviation is gonna be much higher. Yeah, well maybe we disagree on that. Okay. Oh okay. Maybe there's maybe it's, the it, maybe it's the... not as maybe I'll give you I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Maybe I'm overvaluing it. Maybe I maybe I could be right, but not to the extent like if I would just change my game selection a little, my variance wouldn't be as dramatically higher. And maybe I'm too scared to do that. Well, let me let me ask you this: Are you playing the four o'clock slate? Are you playing the one o'clock slate? Are you yeah. playing the? I play the, show, the... I, pl I play the showdown slot. I play the large. Hey, I play the milli for the showdown, and I have no problem putting in two grand and getting back like two hundred bucks. So, like, well, that's you're not what talking about. A yeah, I'm, I'm a nit to a certain extent, but I know where the edge is. So, like, I I, I don't mind MMA. I I'll play 150 lineups in MMA and play non duped I mean, I'll do the same shit that By I do in showdown. But to me, just, that's where the edge is. Said... I don't see on the main slate on those slates. Like I'm much more likely to minimize. You just said to me that you have a chance to like a thousand x your buy-in or like five hundred x your buy-in, and the worst case is you get ten percent of your money back. Okay, but you do that. You, so, you do that for a month straight, and good 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 luck to you on the third of your bankroll being gone. Yeah, I mean you're going to go. That's just like the nature of DFS, I suppose. That like. You're going to go. You're going to have losing months. You're going well, to sure, have losing. Of course. But what? What for, for your your? If you want to call it an X value, like you said, you've been, you've been on a, a million dollar downswing, which I is lost good. A million dollars in one week of NFL. You've lost a million dollars in one week of NFL. Mm -hmm. But what what's the percentage of that to your overall bankroll? Um. At that, I at that moment, I can't. I can't. I'm not going to comment on that. Are you not going to comment? But, but, but to I me, can't. that that's <laughs> the most. But that's the most important number, though. Yeah. Like, like for me, uh, it feels like you're coaching me a little. So this is kind of this is a preview. If you go to metify.gg slash chess is okay. And I also want to bring up that, that, that it's also mental game comes into this, and you sh people should talk to Elliot Rowe who has helped me tremendously as a poker player and as a fantasy sports player as well with mental game coaching and um, really helped me work through downswings and really helped me be objective. Um, because very often, like if for me at least, like it's really important to zoom out and look at the long run when you're questioning yourself. And like you can have a graph that's going from the bottom left to the bottom right. And just if like, I don't know. It's really easy, especially when you're. It's so DFS is so solitary, and you spend all of your time 
working on improving and you get bad results, it's really easy to focus on what's been happening the last six weeks, the last eight weeks, rather than zooming out and being like, oh my God, like I have reason to think like anyone, any neutral third party would look at what's going on here objectively and say, oh, you're getting unlucky. So. Right. So I'm looking. And I think if you're a losing player, it's a little harder to have those skills because like, I mean, we're we're talking about like mental game skills that are are only appropriate if you, if you are a winning player. I mean, a losing player is just going to have like not even be getting to this point, you know? Right. Um, But my, my X, if you want to call it an X value, of my my biggest downswing i've been playing for six years uh my biggest downswing uh has been thirty thousand dollars and the thirty thousand dollar downswing wasn't more than ten percent of my bankroll so at the time that i the first time that i had a thirty thousand dollar downswing my bankroll was three hundred thousand dollars and that was the largest percent of my bankroll so I hope you could tell from uh, the, how I put that, how much of a nit I am with my bankroll. I think that you're making very large mistakes in terms of bankroll management and in terms of game selection. <laughs> um, because mistakes from, from I, I'm assuming you're going to say mistakes from a perspective that at this point in my DFS career, I should be up $5 million. Well, I, I think people like underestimate how aggressive you need to be with bankroll management when you have an edge. Like Kelly criteria when you have an edge is going to tell you to bet way more than you can in DFS on most slates. So like, I mean, I remember when I was starting out and my goal was to like be betting 10% of my role per slate or whatever it was. And yeah, at a certain point that just becomes you're not able to do it because your role becomes so big. Um, But I think that Maybe what's going on when you talk about that, Jordan, is that you just have more of a bankroll than you need to well, play I mean, because I'm, it sounds like you don't have an aspiration to move up in stakes or anything like no, that. No, I, I I have an aspiration to make seventy five thousand. Right. That that when it comes to that, like you say, ten percent of my like on the, for for instance on on this 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 weekend NFL, I'm going to play around fifteen thousand dollars in volume. Which to most people that are listening is a lot of money, right? To that is a lot of money, right? It that's is a lot. A lot that's, of a, money. that's betting a lot, right. But with your role, that's not. That's you should, that's, you, that's 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 not that's not that's three percent. I mean, I mean, like it's so I could play off. The, I mean, from a mental state, I could play. I'm I'm playing. You know, I've I've put in fifteen thousand and lost twelve thousand in in one sun. Okay, and you're still not in the millimaker. And I'm still not in the millimaker, right? The thing is, if you play the Millie Maker, you can bet more of your role too because you have a higher edge. So it's like, <laughs> it's just, I think, yeah, I think that the, in terms of uh, bankroll management and um, do you, do you max out? Like when you talk about betting 2000 on the single game or are you, uh, I'm not playing, playing 150. Typically, I don't play 150, no. Yeah. It depends. It, if I, I, it, it comes down to, uh, like you said, the mental thing, the, the the question from before, are you good or are you, are, are you playing well or running good? Right. Mm-hmm. So when, when it comes to Kelly, like I tell people that Kelly doesn't matter in DFS for two reasons. One, you mentioned one, because if we, if you could compute the edge, you'd be, you'd be, you'd be risking way too much or you couldn't get that much action at that edge. 
But the main thing yeah. is you have to quantify the edge. And on different slates, like I feel on certain slates, I certain sports, certain types of contests that I have a bigger edge. Some I don't. Some I may not know. Some, hey, some I may not even know. Like, yeah. like uh, I've been playing MMA for the past year only because I studied it and I'm like, there's a big edge here. Very similar to Showdown. Uh, but I started by playing 50 line. Like, I'm not sure. Let me see. Right? So you die, you dip in. And then once you see and you make some mistakes or whatever, but then the size of the slate change, then you, like we, we get slates sometimes when there's nine fights on the slate and it's like I run through lineups and like last week, you know, it was a nine fight slate and I'm like, I'm not sure how much edge there is here. Like, can I, how many unique lineups can I make? And dude, I couldn't make a goddamn one. <laughs> I mean, like, like I, I, really? I screwed up to the point in which I made, I actually made money because it was one of those slates where, you know, the winning lineup is tied seven million times, you know, that type of slate. Uh, I don't like those. I like the slates where it's 15 fights and too many people are making duplicates and there's so many ways for me to make uniques. So like on those slates, I max out. So it's like, yeah. I still view it from a slate to slate basis of like, where is my edge? But I'm more likely to, I'm more likely to not know. I'm, I'm more likely to say, I'm not sure how good I am. So I'm going to play much more, I'm going to play proper lineups, but I'm talking about from a bankroll perspective, play conservatively. Like so many people, the average player, James, typically does the opposite. They play too much of their role and they play lineups that are too conservative, right? I do the opposite of yeah. like, I have no problem playing high EV lineups that could be first or last, but because I know that I'm only playing 2% of my bank. I mean, like, like I could play optimally and I know that, you know, over the, over the long run, I'm going to, I'm, yes, I may only max out at 75 to a hundred thousand dollars. I've had a $200,000 a year. Right. And awesome. to, to, that's I, like, if you've made $20 million, $50 million, whatever, a number that you won't disclose or whatever, good luck. I mean, like, I'm happy for you. Like, uh, that's perfectly fine to like, but like, I, I don't feel jealous of you. Like, like if I gave that up, and it's like, dude, the way that you've been playing the past six years, you could you could have made twenty million dollars. Like, I don't feel like I don't I don't have the FOMO of that. I'm like, like, dude, you should see in the last six years of my life. I get to wake up whenever I want. I, I like like there's a lifestyle thing of like I don't need a private jet. So yeah. like I know I know you're gonna tell me it's like I'm not pl I'm not playing optimally. But am I not playing optimally based on what I'm looking to do? I mean like Well, there's one thing you said that's correct. Uh, Great, one thing. I got one people, thing right. High five. I got one thing right. A lot of people do what you describe, and it's kind of what Eric is doing to an extent, which is um, playing higher than they're rolled for and then playing the game inaccurately. Um, you see this happen in like the main event, and poker is like a great example for it. Like people buy in with a 10K or buy in with 10K, and then they like very much don't want to bust round one. You know, because it's like that's that, that's like a prime example of a. Um, but I do think that I just think it's like what the perception of variance is and what it is in practice. If you run out the Sims, it's just going to be like a little different. Um, that I think that making choices that's dropping your ROI like ten to twenty percent, I just think is really unlikely to lower your variance. But do you um, think I'm dropping that much ROI? 
by playing the slant versus the Millie Maker, maybe even more. Yeah. Really? Mm hmm. We should possibly disagree. I mean, that it really would just go on by scale. Yeah. I don't think there's a correct yes or no. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm, maybe my lineups for the slant is not. I'm not. Maybe my lineup set for the Millie Maker is not good enough. You don't know the lineups that I'm playing, right? <laughs> right, if they're don't. good enough for the slant. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to come out with like I'm trying to like 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 yeah. Obviously, if my lineups are good enough for slant, they're good enough for the for, for the millie maker. Uh, do you have a? Do you do well in the slant? Yeah, I've I've, I've yeah I've, I won la I won one last year. I mean, nice. That, but that's all. I like I look at my look at my graph and like most people comment on my graph and go, "Where are the downswings?" And I go, "Well, look mm -hmm. at that line and look at that little line and look at and then I look at theirs." And I look at their graphs, and I go, I, I, I probably would have quit at some point. I mean, like, like, like I, I would, I, I wouldn't well, be able to handle you need to losing look a million. Someone, you need to look at someone who's playing a consistent game, and you can't look at someone who is adding games that they may be a loser in. When you start talking about downswings, like if I'm if I'm consistently playing the low stakes and then I add 150 into the wildcat and I start going on swing, like that's what you're going to see in a lot of graphs. Right. Well, uh, I'm talking because... about graphs for people that aren't doing that. Yeah. Right. But, but I mean, but I agree with you. I mean, you have to consider your, your graphs for individual sports. Like, like my soccer graph looks like just one diagonal upward. I mean, like, cause that, that is my best sport. So like, I, I have no problem, you know, Dude, as long as it's not against Sarah, uh, I mean, the soccer lobby is very, very small. Mm -hmm. So, like, my block list is essentially the 10 best stock. I mean, like, I just, like, like, dude, I'll post any head-to-head. -head. Like, if some rando wants to come and play me in soccer and they want to play me in a $1,000 head-to-head, like, I don't, like, like, I don't mind. Oh, like, you have that, the role for that. Right, right. I have the role for, and right. If, if someone it's wants a to rando. Play me, right. If someone, if someone came to me and say, I want to play you $5,000 a week in soccer, like mm. I've, I've literally, I have no problem with that whatsoever, but I can't get that. If I want to play $5,000 of volume in soccer, I have to be playing against the other sharpest. Like I'm like what me versus Saramek. What is that going to, I mean, like to me, it serves no purpose to, to even bother with that. So like I end up only playing 1500 to 2000 on a Saturday, uh, Saturday for soccer because like, yeah, what am I supposed to do? Add $530 three mans with the two other best players in the, I mean, like, like what? But some people, James, you know, people that do that. I mean, like that. I don't know. Do I, I don't, have, do I don't know so many people who do that. What? <laughs> I don't know so many people who do that. You don't know so many people that do that. No. I mean, you you see so many. You have to think that in those the, like the three mans and the head to heads, there are people playing ten, you know, ten thousand dollar head to heads, knowing that like, like why why are we playing against each other? Like like why? I mean. I mean, you don't play cash games, so like it's a little, it's a little bit different. But, but like, why would you want to play a three man against like the two other better? Like, even if you think you have small edge, I mean, you can't have that big of an edge compared to the rake. That why, why would you even want to take that action, right? I mean, we have Empire Maker. I mean, he'll take. I, I have to block him in soccer sometimes. I don't mind playing him in soccer, but dude, don't take all of my fucking act. I mean, like, like, all, great. So I'm, I'm playing two thousand dollars versus EM two. On this late, and he's not hot, and he's not bad or anything. But it's like, dude, I'm waiting for fucking randos. Take one, take one of them. Like that's what I hate. That's more of the tilting thing, James. Where you post head to heads, and someone takes like, 
like on FanDuel, now they have a limiter where someone takes like you post up to like two fifteens or something, and then someone takes like forty of your five dollar ones. And it's like, mm-hmm. fuck, just take the two fifteen. Why are you making it so I have to fucking now post all that shit? But you but in the higher stakes, like I'm I'm not used to the because I don't play in the higher stakes. There, I'd tell I mean, you that if I was going to play every reg in the five hundred dollar three mans or something like that, I'd be doing it within the last five minutes of lock. Okay, in order to what? To, why would you, what would it matter if you were playing against those? But just in case they don't submit a lineup or something. Um. Well, I don't want them to know they're playing against me all day. Oh, ah. Oh. But are, are we talking about specific opponents? I'm not. I don't want to get into the. To the collusion I don't. Stuff. I don't want to give people the opportunity to change their strategy or to know that they're betting a lot on the slate. Do you think they're even doing that though? What? Do you think they're even altering your strategy? Because from my experience, much much fewer people do than you think. I mean, I I, I um, played some at some sharp regs in higher stake, th- at least three figure stakes that. Like, dude, their lineup's dead to mine, and they don't swap. And but the thing is, is that I've always compared that well, to me because I think that you they just don't care pinpointed about something where maybe we. I wouldn't call that player sharp. I mean, if if what you described is true, then you're talking about someone who's probably a spot at those stakes. Well, I I I, I typically chalk it up to volume because, for instance, in NFL, I may play. 300, 400 head-to-heads on, like, DraftKings? And am I going to go through all 50 of my $5 head-to-heads like a half an hour before the 4 p.m. game? No, I'll go through my 109s. I'll go through my 215. I mean, I'll go through those. So someone at the $5 level is probably going, Jordan... Well, your listeners should listen to this and take you out. Right, well, but I but I admit, at least I admit that. I go, go like, if you see, if we're a 1v1 or something and you're ahead and... I happen to have the same lineup at a because some people have pointed that well, out. Well, now you just answered your question: Why Empire Maker's sitting so much against you? No, well, he doesn't change. Well, at the five dollar level, at the one hundred nine level, too, I am doing that. So, to, to to me, to Empire Maker, he's swapping out on his fifty thousand dollar head to heads, but his his one hundred nine against me, it's the same version of a five dollar one against some random person. That like, I'm not getting to my two hundred ninety seventh head to head to calculate whether or not I need to swap. And yes, I am giving up, I'm giving up what, dollar uh, twenty or something and by doing that. But mm-hmm. I need to put in the time in my $200, $215 head. It's, it's the... That's true, that's right. fair. I mean, but but at least I understand that. So I can understand if someone's playing $300,000 worth of volume in head-to-heads, that maybe in the 109 against me, he's not swapping. But I don't play the $5,000 head-to-heads, but maybe you do are... Maybe, maybe they are paying more attention there. So your attitude of I don't want to give them the tr- the opportunity to know who they're playing against may make much mm-hmm. more sense in the in the very high stakes than in you know if you're playing one dollar head to heads. I don't uh, is it is it worth caring about? I think that like also if people knew they were getting sit for sat for heaps, they might pay more attention to the slate um, as well. So the, they're varying. Like, you don't necessarily want your opponent to know that you're going to play them for heaps, especially because they just open set. So, what? So, if you, um, you scoop, so you're more likely to scoop someone like the last minute before lock. Mm hmm. 
then you hope yeah. they don't they, then you what you hope they don't notice um i think it's going to be hard for yeah i mean it, i think it's often going to be hard for players to adjust to that but do you think do you think they would be specifically playing against like how much of a dossier do you think high stakes players have on each other um, or you're not going to comment because you'll have a dossier and you're not going to, I'm I'm not talking about what you know about specific players, but if you're, are you the, you seem like based on that smirk that you're someone that keeps a dossier on players. And I'm telling you that I think a lot of high stakes players don't keep a dossier on other players specifically. Well, they may know generalities, but they're just like, I'm going to play my best lineup and then, then that's it. I think you're. I think that you have to consider who the spots are at the high stakes, and I think what you're describing is just the weak players who are losing at those stakes, um, and that's really what it is. Even if these players are good at other stakes, like uh, who who of the people who are playing the five thousand dollar games, who do you think the losers are? They're like there there are some there are randos who, who sit, but it's like not every reg's winning in those games. Like a lot of regs are losing in those games. Um, and when you think about like the high stakes GPPs, it's like, who are the losers? You see that there are these guys who enter 150 rosters and they're on average, not losers. So like, who are the losers in the game? Um, and I, I, I suppose that's something to think about, like, cause you're, you're just, you're just saying, talking about players in a kind of like binary way, like they're either sharp or they're not. And I think just the texture and the idiosyncrasies of like who's the winner and who, who's winning and who isn't is just there are a lot of factors that play into it. And some of them is just like who's paying attention, you know, and that happens in poker too. like you buy into a high stakes poker tournament and like half the tables on their phone, you know, so like it, it doesn't really matter like how good they are. Right. Um, but but it's, it's all it's still all relative skill. I mean, the biggest winners at the lowest stakes could be the biggest losers, losers at the higher stakes. Yeah. Right. I mean, like, I mean, but that makes sense because like if you could beat and the I've quarter arcade, it's like, great. But I mean, can you beat the can you beat the luxury box? Can you or I mean, I've been that at varying degrees, at varying times in my career. And I can guarantee you Chipotle addict has been, too. Um, so, I mean, that's just like how it goes. You know, um, I think for a lot of high stakes players, you take on too much. And you try to find more and more ways to put money to work, and it becomes like easy to add games you're losing up. I mean, we saw. I mean, you talked about Sahil that way, and yeah, yeah. You me- and and you mentioned on Lulz. I mean, I I've never talked to him. He seems like a nice guy, whatever, like that. I don't know what happened. That doesn't matter. All I know is that I wish I had the bankroll I had now back when he was playing soccer. Uh, uh, I've I've still won out of out of any person in so- he I haven't played Zaheel in a head to head I think in five years, four and a half years, and he's still the person he's still in my in my rotor tracker, the highest net winner net loser to me in wow. soccer and I also know the so- like like it was one of those things where, uh, like you said, maybe you're good at NBA maybe you're good at M- maybe you're good at these other sports why. Why the hell are you here playing $10,000 head-to-heads against the sharpest soccer players in the lobby? So do you think that, uh, you know, coaching-wise, that you're more likely to have students, instead of expand the sports that they play, expand the amount of slates that they play to kind of avoid 
Like, what happened with Sahil of, like, I'm going to take on all comers in all sports and not necessarily realizing that you may not have an edge in them? Yeah, I, I, I don't know if Sahil's the best example because I, there must have been something else going on. It's very strange behavior to just start, like, punting it off in these alternative sports. Um, I think getting more, like, when Chipotle addict, and I don't know if he do, does this anymore, but, like, when he'll have be open-sitting all of the lobbies on the main slate and the 1 p.m. and, the like, every, every slate available, every game type, every just sitting everything. Um, you've got to consider that he's going to be the spots in some of those games and structures that he's sitting. Spot? Uh, is, is that, should... is that, uh, that's a term I've never heard of, a spot? A spot, yeah. Is that, is a that, is spot that, is, is there's a, a gradient, I guess, of um, the spot is where the money's flowing from. Oh, the, the spot, game. okay. So, so where, where does X mark the spot? Well, it depends on the game of structure. That's the, uh, that's the, um, the point. But yes, I think the um, common advice I would give is for players to like, what's your highest ROI game basically, and to focus more time on playing that and expanding to play as many of those things as you possibly can. So if you're doing really well um, on low stakes GPPs, the question wouldn't be, how can I get into the high stakes? How can I start playing the $20? How can I start playing the spy? How can I start playing the three entry high stakes? It would be, how can you do more of what you're doing at a bigger scale and make more decisions like what's working for you today? Because that's really how you're going to make a lot of money. I mean, you can, like I, like I talked about for, for NBA, I mean, there tend to be like three or four slates a night where you can bet a thousand per slate and you can get a lot down. And if you're doing it at like you were talking about, like 30% ROI, you're going to make a lot of money playing TFS. You know, you're going to be making over 100K a year or more. Like, that's just the way the math works out. And it's like, you're going to be playing the games where you're where you're the best, where you have the highest edge, where you have the smallest downswings, where you have the highest expectations. So, so that's, that's much that's much better than trying to do what I, I mean, I, I can't do it. Well, we see a lot of people that I, I mean, this is where the burnout comes in, where they're playing... NBA, MLB, Showdown, NHL, like all in the same night, and and oh, and yeah. building their PGA lineups. And I'm like, people ask me like, oh, well, you're not playing PGA this week? It's like, dude, I don't have the time. I mean, I'm yeah, well, I'm gonna focus on the things that I'm good at and play more of that before expanding. Dude, I can't play two sites, and they're doing this on three sites. I'm I'm like, they're either well, that's wizards, the next step. Right. Is playing two two sites up for the same slate, all the low stakes. I think that's right. like the way you scale. But I must run, Jordan. So okay. I really so thank Medify, you for having me Medify. on. You're you're part of you 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 own part of that company, right? Medify.gg. I I own a I own a piece of the company. I'm an investor. Um, it's a terrific marketplace for uh, coaches for all different kinds of sports and games. Um, well, all kinds of video games. No. Uh, no real life sports coaching at the moment. It has like poker chess DFS as well as uh, like it is focused on video games. So it has like League of Legends, Fortnite, like all of the most popular video games as well. And has some of the best players in the world coaching on them. So, so Metafy, M-E-T-A-F-Y dot G-G. You're there, Chess. Underscore is underscore okay. I'll put the link in the description uh, if you if you want to get coaching from uh well, I, I I call you a former Millie Maker winner. You're you're it does, you're a current Millie Maker. You've you've won it before. Former Millie Maker winner. 
Right. So uh, sometimes yeah. second place. Sometimes snake knives. You get snake knives then. Yeah. Okay. So Perfect. thanks for coming on. And uh, as always, the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports 15 hour yeah. audio DFS masterclass at theoryofdfs.com.